podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. The BatmanUniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out the BatmanUniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. Hey, Bat fans. Welcome to the 250th episode of the Batman Universe podcast. I'm your host, Scott, and joining me is my co-host, BJ. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into the much-reviled or beloved, depending on where you fall on the spectrum, Bat film, Batman and Robin. But first, we'll do a little icebreaker, or as I was used to be calling, the, or I used to call these, um, let's kick some icebreakers in honor of today's film. I figured I should bring that back. BJ, what's your favorite topic we've covered on the TVU podcast? And second half of that, what would you like us to cover that we have not? My favorite thing we've discussed on the podcast, probably when we all did a review of uh, the Batman Pattinson movie kind of just because like I've always like listened like to every like Batman themed podcast and like there were like oh man I'd love to just talk about it talk about a new movie and then luckily I I we did it and it was it was fun to do and I also another one um when me you Dustin and Otto had like a big just kind of like a come to Jesus meeting just about everything going on with Warner brothers and DC and the movies and everything. And we kind of just went on a whole deep dive of just all the insanity around the Zack Snyder stuff and the rock. And I remember calling uh, Warner brothers, the Cleveland Browns and it's just, uh, but yeah, those are my, my top two uh, most memorable moments. I do remember the Cleveland Browns comment because I think about it a lot, actually. And I've almost sometimes I have stolen that comment to use outside of Batman related things just because it was such a really um, astute observation. I know, everything that's going on Warner Brothers. It's almost kind of uh, backfired on me and jinxed me now because I think the, uh, since I said it, like I'm a Patriots fan. And I think since I said, I think the Browns have had a better record than the Patriots. So I don't know. It's kind of uh, blown up in my face, but hopefully things turn around. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, you know, hopefully things history, turn around. History is on my side when it comes to the Patriots versus the Browns. I'll just say that. So, but lately, not, not really. Yeah. Bad year for it. On my end, I'd have to say favorite episodes, the Batman stuff. Yeah, we covered that for a while. We did several episodes just like kind of getting into everything, oh, with yeah. it, which I really liked. And we did have a lot of really good discussions about that. I'd say the only thing I add that I think about, and we'll have to do it again, but it takes some prep, is our ranking, ranking Riddler's episode. I really liked when we went through and like had like a, we had an Excel spreadsheet and everything and like had a very mathematical system for that. So that was kind of fun. We'll have to do that for another character. Um, that being said, 
are there things you think we should cover that we haven't or we that we've ignored? Uh, let me think here. Uh, maybe I think I would like to always kind of like every now and then, like on the pod, we kind of uh, we break down. We end up like falling down a rabbit hole talking about like old comics, like old comic storylines, like when from we grew up, things like that. I remember a while ago, we kind of when we talk about Scarecrow, we were talking about like that er, that first Tim Drake story when he first became the story leading to him to become Robin. Like, I think like kind of digging into like the old, like our favorite random storylines or just old comics, like things like that. Yeah, actually I like the retrospective kind of angle of that because there are ones that I liked at the time. And I don't know how I'll feel about them now, like looking back. One of the ones that comes to mind is one that I think at the time it came out in issue format. I liked it more than I felt like everybody else liked. And that was the Broken City storyline with mm-hmm. Batman and Killer Croc. And it was kind of like a, if I remember right, a murder mystery. As we've moved away from that issue's release, like, God, I want to say it's like 20 years old now or close to it. But that series release, I feel like I see more people talk about that storyline. And so. You know, I kind of want to go back. I haven't touched it since it came out. And it was a Brian Azzarello, which as a writer, my opinions have changed on him since then. You know, in the Joker book he did came out. I liked it at the time, but when I reread it like a year or so ago, I actually had the exact opposite reaction. So mm-hmm. I like that for exploring the history, but maybe even also like kind of revisiting and seeing like, how does this hold up? How do you feel about it? You know, if there are different perspectives where it hits different which is kind of funny mentioning that now because the topic of this episode this 250th episode is batman and robin a film as i mentioned earlier was hated upon its release and depending on who you talk to there are different opinions and feelings now that the film is over 25 years old i want to say it's something like that yeah but for everybody listening along at home, if you have things you want us to cover, you can let us know. Same with anything on the podcast you wish we did more of or a favorite moment that you like to talk about and wish we'd pick up and carry the torch on or expand upon. You can always hit us up at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net or join our Discord. Before we jump into our main topic, though, we do have one little bit of uh, housekeeping news, whatever you want to call it. So we made a comment about not covering Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and this is not that. We still aren't talking about it. I haven't played it, BG. I don't know if you have played it. I have not. And I probably won't anytime soon unless it drops on like Game Pass or something. Currently, I'm going through Gotham Knights, and I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting there in terms of the story, like near the end. Feels like it. I've gotten to to big twist so far. But the reason why I bring up Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is months ago, many of us were led to believe that that was going to be Kevin Conroy's last performance as Batman. Turns out that's not the case. He will appear as the animated series Batman in part three of Justice League Crisis on Infinite Worlds. So part one's already out. I'm not sure if part two's out. I figure once all three are out, we can do a mega review of all three together because I kind of hate chunking it off and leaving it hanging and reviewing a third or just a part of a whole work, especially since it's a storyline as big as Crisis on Infinite Worlds. 
So a little bit of news there. BJ, if you have any thoughts, feel free to jump in. Uh, just uh, based off the reviews of uh, the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League game, then this is a good thing that that's not Conroy's last uh, time as Batman. Um, I haven't seen any of the crisis movie, the first crisis movie. I've been kind of swamped with just life stuff. So I haven't really, I mean, I haven't had a chance to watch it. Uh, hopefully I will soon, but it's definitely, it. it's only right that Conroy is in that like storyline of movies. Like, uh, for that storyline to be, that's one of the most famous DC storylines and probably the most famous voice actor of um, any DC character. It's only right that he's in that movie. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And it's nice. He's playing the Batman character that got him started. So like that is that characterization, mm-hmm. which will be cool. And hopefully they won't have to kill him in crisis on infinite worlds. True. Drag him, his dead body through the streets. <laughs> <laughs> okay so batman and robin is it underappreciated we'll get there and we'll have our decisions but first i want to go back in time it's june 20th 1997 and little scott and little bj are finding themselves in the theater watching this movie for the first time DJ, when you first, when did you first see Batman and Robin? I'm making presumptions there. That could I could be totally wrong. But when did you first see it? And you know, at the time, how did you feel? I definitely I probably definitely saw it at least that first weekend of uh Batman and Robin. I mean, I'm 10 years old. Um, I'm sure my parents were like, all right, let's kill two hours. Uh he loves Batman. Let's take him. Let's uh, and we'll maybe my I probably my dad probably fell asleep during it. Who knows? But uh, no, I I mean as a ten year old, I didn't know any better of anything. It was it was Batman up there, and you know, Batman and Robin were shooting grappling guns off their uh, with their gloves, and they're flying. They're driving their cars down huge arms of statues, and I didn't know any better. Uh, what was going on. I had a great time with it and I didn't know that everyone hated it and it wasn't like uh, pure Batman in my mind. I'm like, oh, it's just, it, I just look up on the screen and I see Batman. So I probably, as a kid, I remember enjoying it. Yeah, I saw it probably first weekend. It was probably something that was on my radar for months. I was, I was one month shy of turning 10 when this came out. So I was, you know, my brother is five years younger than me. So <clears throat> you know, I was nine and he was uh, four, I guess, and uh, very excited about it. I think I was a little disappointed, maybe. I think because at the time, my favorite film was Batman Forever. So if I remember right, little little me was a, was really big into Batman Forever. And this wasn't great movie. that. But I still, you know, had a good time. You know, it was a Batman movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger was in it. It was a big hero of mine at the time. And uh, pretty wild, trippy, goofy storyline. Background details, you know, again, it was June 20th, 1997. It grossed, they're estimating $238 million against a budget of $150 million thereabouts. Still considered a flop, not what they wanted. It was supposed to be the tentpole film of the summer it was supposed to 
prop up Warner Brothers' entire film line that year, just in case everything else went bust. Director Joel Schumacher, who did do Forever, was told to make this film more, uh, quote, toyetic, unquote. And that was a departure from the previous film, where there was kind of a blend of humor and a little more serious subtext. Though, if anyone's seen the Kevin Smith you know, reveal of the Batman Forever uh, Schumacher cut thing that came out a few months ago. It sounds like the studio heavily interfered with that. The film was originally much more serious and they came in and slashed it up to make it a little more fun and jovial and exciting and even had a lot of actors, especially Tommy Lee Jones, record uh, some of their lines again to be more energetic and, you know, kind of crazy and amplify like the craziness. You know, according to Schumacher and screenwriter Akiva Goldsman, Batman and Robin was a rushed production to boot, you know, that targeted a specific date. And that two months prior to its release, they had a test, several test audiences watch it who reportedly hated it. And the studio, as long as along with the cast, just soldiered on to make the release. So whatever they had to do to hit that target date, they did. And at the time, since it was 97, you have to take yourself back several decades and know that like online fan sites kind of where you're listening to this podcast were just becoming a thing. They were brand new, you know, it wasn't something you saw much of. And in fact, they looked like garbage. So, um, but one of the, a lot of them got wind of the test screenings, you know, especially one that was starting to build and grow before it reached its apex. It was called ain't it cool news. One of the, um, Film reviewers there, he used to go by the name Capone, actually works at the Music Box Theater in Chicago. He's like their PR guy now, but he was a big reviewer on that site. You know, he had, I don't know if he had anything to do with this film, but um, just kind of a funny segue there and thing I noticed. Um, they reported their concerns based on this supposed bad test audiences. And so that kind of created this growing pressure and fed into the release and kind of made the studio a little bit uneasy, you know, and the fact that it was rushed made everybody nervous. And I feel like you can kind of tell if you look for it, but all that to say it came out, it was considered a dud. It had repercussions and it was the kind of the final bat film in that first four film series there, you know, and it was, you know, arguably the biggest one and had the most toys and franchising and IP and all sorts of different products around it. Like the whole buzz around it was just, it kept growing and growing and growing since 89. Like, you know, the studios got better at synergizing with other companies to merchandise and market. That said, it's 2024. We've had time to recover, especially the people who hated it. BJ, how does this hit for you in 2024? I look at it as just a bad version of the Adam West show, like now. So, like, I, I know I kind of, I don't take it as serious as I do, like, other comic book movies, because I, I know what I'm getting it. I know what I'm getting into when I watch it. I'm not treating it like it's, you know, the Batman or the Dark Knight, you know, Avengers Endgame, like, going in, like, knowing right, I'm going to see something special, like, something I've never really seen before. I just know it's goofy. I know there's going to be a lot of ice puns. I know Uma Thurman's going to chew up the scenery and kind of 
just be strange. I know Bane's kind of going to lumber around and be painted green. So I just kind of know what I'm getting into. And I almost kind of treat it. I don't have like hate towards it. Maybe I did when I was like an angsty teenager. Like, oh yeah, it stinks. Like, uh, that's not Batman, man. Like Batman punches you in the face and he doesn't, he doesn't make a joke at all. He doesn't have a credit card. Like he just takes what he wants. So yeah, it's like, I just kind of treat it now as like, uh, like, yeah, with that, if it wasn't so bad, like we never would have got the Nolan trilogy. Like, yeah, I know it kind of killed comic book movies for a few years until Blade and X-Men. And then we didn't get uh, Batman Begins till 2005. So I kind of just like, eh. now I'm like, eh, it's kind of, it's cute. Like I'll, I'll always enjoy watching it. I know it's goofy. I know me and you, we kind of always go back and forth just kind of talking about it. And like, we talk about the toys and things like that. Like, so it's a lot, there's a lot of good memories surrounding the film, just not the film itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Cause it's kind of, it's like a time capsule. So you're looking back, you know, like what that, that summer felt like and like the excitement leading up to it. And it's, I watched it. I watched it twice. Um, since we talked about doing this episode, and the first time I watched it, I made the mistake of watching Batman Returns and then just jumping right into Batman and Robin. And tonally, it is like night and day. Like Batman Returns is goofy, but it feels like it's very smart and, you know, just kind of it's it has, aware aware of its own thing. Yeah, Batman Returns has like the mask of like where it's burned, but... Like there's a lot of goofy elements in that, but it has like it hides behind it well, like because it's it's like literally set like at night almost, and like like penguins biting people's faces. But here, there's none of that. There's no like, <laughs> and the dialogue is like you know, Batman Returns is so loaded with uh, innuendo. You know, we talked about Batman Returns on the podcast before. Anyone listening, you can go back. We did a whole episode about it you know i think it's called this batman returns a christmas episode or something like that and we really just get into it and it's arguably my favorite live action batman film but um yeah the the innuendo and like the you know subtext and the things going on in batman returns batman robin there's like none of that here it is just like right off the bat you know one of the first things you hear out of Alfred's mouth when they're, you know, going to stop Mr. Freeze, they get this quick play by play of who the hell Mr. Freeze is when they hop in the Batmobile and the bike. And like, yeah, it's this guy, Mr. Freeze. He got turned into, you know, this ice dude and he's robbing the museum and Alfred and they're speeding off and Alfred goes, well, I'll cancel the pizza, you know? And like that, I feel like sets the tone for what movie you're watching. It's just nonsense it's not particularly clever but it is really silly and weirdly endearing and charming in its own way and i think this is a long-winded way of saying it's a bad idea to watch those films back to back but if you watch it by itself it's like a a wild light show that feels like a 90s fever dream and kind of encapsulates the end of that decade of film where things were just increasingly getting nuttier and it was just cool and this is just where we're at in 1997 we make movies like this <laughs> you know and for people who think i'm full of it i would say go back and watch a lot of your major blockbusters from that time if you want to see a really goofy trip that also features two-face from batman forever watch volcano it's pretty banana bananas and that's kind of just like the zeitgeist of the time and i feel like it does take me back 
but also it's just its own weird fun trip that I appreciate for being, I wouldn't call it a popcorn film. I just call it a, a goofy light show that has some of my favorite actors just kind of just letting loose and cutting up and having fun. And they're just there for the paycheck and a good time. Yeah, no, for definitely. Like, like I said, like if I really, if I want serious Batman, like I'll watch the Batman or the dark Knight or rises and I really get into it and like get in the mood. But if I'm just kind of want to have something on in the background where I, where it's not going to, I don't have to devote my full attention to it all. Batman, Robin, I'm like, like Robin flies through with his motorcycle and at the in that opening fight scene, and like his logo is the the wall behind them is the shape of the Robin logo. Like that makes no sense, but I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, it's kind of funny, actually. Speaking of the logo and Robin, I believe it was you who pointed out in your TBU Five Things article about this movie the. The fact that in Batman Forever, you know, he's clearly wearing what a movie version of the Robin suit would look like. Yeah, it's like body armor and rubbery and everything. It doesn't, he doesn't not be wearing short pants or something, but he has like the colors, you know, of Robin. But in this movie, even though they still call him Robin, his suit design is very much Nightwing inspired. Nightwing. Yeah. It's blue. It's got a blue, he's got a blue suit. Uh, the blue suit and the red bird, uh, like I said, it's a very new 52 Nightwing, almost like way before, uh, like millions of years before that. Like that was even, uh, no one's ever thinking about that. But yeah, like at the time, that was the closest we were ever probably going to get to a Nightwing suit. And it's kind of cool to think about because it seems like they're at least on paper initially, maybe before they even wrote the movie, maybe they had an idea of we're going to show like this storyline of growth and Robin and like make him become Nightwing. And obviously that's not necessarily in the film, but like the themes and the ideas are there and the inspirations there. Um, and actually last week's or not last week, but the last episode we had for TBU, I interviewed someone who uh, made fan comics for the unmade third Burton film, but he was using um, what was known about the film before it, before Tim Burton got kicked off the project and one of the things they had in there was, you know, the original idea for the film was they were going to they were going to they were to skip Robin and just go straight to Nightwing. So I thought that was interesting in this context where it was like that idea. Maybe while they did do Robin, they just kind of brushed over, you know, years of him being Robin. And now he's just very much Nightwing inspired. But also that could be because Chris O'Donnell you know, in yeah, these movies. 25. <laughs> Yeah, but in Forever, in Batman Forever, he says like, it kind of, it's a goofy moment. Batman Forever, when you think about it, he's like, "What should I call myself? Bat Boy, Nightwing? Like, why would he lead off with Bat Boy? He's, like, yeah. he's at least I know they're passing him off as a like, an like seventeen or eighteen in that, but like, yeah. there's no. Way. I always thought he was supposed to be eighteen. You yeah, know, so that, they never really do like the word or the adoption thing or anything. He just like goes and lives with Bruce, and it's just like, yeah, yeah okay. You want, yeah, you want this motorcycle kid? Here you go. <laughs> Fix it up for me. <laughs> but yeah, that was a cool motif. And actually, that being said, you know, my next question, other than how you feel about the film, both then and now, what are specifically, like, what are some things you like about the movies? And it could be anything. It could be, 
you know, art design or characterizations or dialogue or whatever, as well as what are some things you don't like? We can always just start with the likes and then go into don't like, so that's easier. So yeah, we'll do that. So we, so I, yeah, I did write that, uh, that five things about Batman and Robin, and it was a struggle to kind of get to five, like, uh, for Batman and Robin, but I pulled it off. I pulled it off beautifully. Uh, if I don't pat myself on the back, but I do like, I think I led that article off where like, that scene where Poison Ivy has the Robin signal, which as a Robin fan, I love that, how there was a Robin signal in the sky. Like as a 10-year-old, I was like, hell yeah, like it's his time now. But, <laughs> but he's going to go off and, uh, you know, see see Poison Ivy and him and Batman have been fighting over her the whole movie, which it's it's goofy the way it is. But then when kind of a great delivery by Clooney where uh, – he goes, she wants to kill you, dick. And he really puts the emphasis on the, uh, uh, by saying his name, well, uh, which is kind of very Batman Returns almost with some innuendo with that. It, but then they have that uh, scene where Bruce is like, you know, trust me, like friend, brother, partner, like, will you trust me now? And like the music swells and like in a better movie, like in a better Batman and Robin story like where they're fighting and they have to kind of come together at the end. Like I do love that movie. It seems kind of out of place for the whole entire film, but I do like that as like just one scene. I do like that moment. It's funny. You bring up the, she's trying to kill you Dick scene. Cause um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with riff tracks. No, it's, it's some of the guys who worked on mystery science theater 3000 way back in the day. And for people who don't know, it's the show where two robots and a guy sat in front of a movie, made fun of it. Um, for our listeners, the second crew of that show, the host Mike, he and some of the people went on to create this thing called Rift Tracks. And it's on the internet. You can you pay to download video files that you can watch with like big budget movies. So instead of being relegated to just like cheap, bad sci-fi or horror films, you can watch Jurassic Park or Batman and Robin with riff tracks. And so they actually did one obviously for Batman and Robin. And that scene, it's my favorite bit in riff tracks because when Bruce Wayne goes, she's trying to kill you, Dick. One of the robots goes, Whoa, language, Batman. And I, <laughs> I just love that, that, that little quip in there, but it's a, it's a good time, but yeah, that emphasis was kind of funny and kind of a bit of an innuendo because, yeah, the whole thing is that is like they really sex up Poison Ivy to where even actually I guess I'm, I'm, I'm breaking my rule and I'm leading into things I don't like about this movie. And I have to talk about it now that I'm mentioning it. But like everybody's, you know, fighting over and fawning over Poison Ivy. There's that whole auction sequence where, you know, all everyone's betting and like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously Bruce and and Dick are, are fighting over who gets to, to be with her, but commissioner Gordon, that's where I'm getting to is in these films, he gets increasingly less of a role. It feels like as they go on and Batman and Robin, he's basically relegated to like this old man who doesn't have a chance in hell <laughs> falling <laughs> under the spells of poison Ivy. And it's just, it makes me so sad because here's old Pat Hingle just, <laughs> You know, just at this, like, worst fawning over Poison Ivy. She's just using him, and you feel bad because he's barely in here, and he's, like, the 
the Commissioner Gordon that doesn't do anything, but you're also insanely sympathetic for him, I feel, just because the actor himself is just very, is just one of those people that just draws a lot of sympathy on screen. The, yeah, the whole, in Batman and Robin too, he's wearing like an actual like police uniform. <laughs> yeah. that, like, looks like a traffic cop. But, <laughs> but, but then in every other uh, incarnation of Commissioner Gordon, he just wears kind of a shirt and tie. But here he's just like, no, I need my police blues on for this. <laughs> But to backtrack, things I do like about this movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I feel like he has a really good time, and you can tell, and his puns are stupid, but they're enjoyable. Specifically, the scene where he makes his uh, hockey team from hell, to quote Robin, (laughs) sing uh, the Snow Miser song. That sequence, probably my favorite bit in the movie. It made me love that song. I didn't grow up watching Rankin Bass films. I've seen them since, but like, I am a big fan of listening to the Snow Miser theme around Christmas, and it's all because of Mr. Freeze. That's good. Yeah, I'm right there with. I, well, I remember that scene as a kid. Like, you know that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he points at the. Like as a kid, I was like, "Oh, I know what that is." Like, <laughs> like that's kind of me and Mr. Freeze. We're similar here, but yeah, yeah that is a. I like how now we're kind of like just kind of like getting into random things, but like, they're like, oh man, we don't know what Mr. Freeze took off, but if they show his hideout before and he's at the old abandoned, you know, snow cone factory that's covered in ice and it's frozen on the outside, frozen on the inside. Like, gee, we don't know where this, we don't know where Mr. Freeze is. <laughs> but that's where it gets into like, it's just a bad version of the, of the 60s show because I'm sh- that like that was what happened in the sixties. Like they, Joker was always at like you know a old toy factory, or even in the animated series, he was always at yeah. a toy factory and things like that. So yeah, the most obvious places. Yeah, and I will say there's like weird cameos in here. Like one of the recurring cameos she started in Batman Returns and is, is in Forever and and Robin. It's um, they gave her a name. Gossip oh, Gossip Gertie. Gertie? Gossip yeah, Gertie. and that's Bob Kane's wife. Yeah. But then when Mr. Freeze is getting wheeled into Arkham Asylum, it's Jesse Ventura is one of the guards. And I always thought that was kind of cool to giving their history, you know, as as appearing in films together. And, you know, he's only in it for that scene. And I don't even know if he's credited. It was just like one of those blink if you and you miss it. But as a kid, I got really excited about that. I was like, oh, man, the guy, two guys from Predator are in here. (laughs) Coolio. And he's cool. But he's not. He's part of the illegal motorcycle race with Batgirl and not, and not even with Mr. Freeze. Yeah. Which, how they missed that one? I don't know. And then they, uh, probably the best thing to come out of Batman and Robin is that Smashing Pumpkins song that was used for this film. The yeah. End is the Beginning is the End, I think is the name of it. I can't remember because they later created a much slower version that was used in a trailer for the Watchmen movie. And so same song, but like that song at the time in 1997 was just really cool. Probably my favorite thing that came out of this because I feel like at the very least, these Schumacher films had pretty good soundtracks. I know Batman yeah, Forever sure. is all about Kiss Batman Forever soundtrack. So, <laughs> that thing still slaps today. Like I'll listen. I'll like I might play that after this. Like Kiss yeah. from Rose. Come on. 
<laughs> I hear that if we go to the store or something, sometimes I'll hear it in the background or whatever at a store and I'll just kiss from a rose and I'll just like yeah. start singing along and then the like, music video all starts coming flooding back. Just like get me in front of a bass signal with my sharm buttons and like I'll be I'll be sealed. <laughs> so what are some things you don't like about Batman and Robin? I never, I never, never, never liked how Batgirl was Alfred's niece like i hated that like even as a kid i was like no Batgirl is commissioner gordon's daughter like i don't know why they changed it like as a kid i didn't know why they changed it as i as i'm older now i'm like yeah they were pretty much writing commissioner gordon out of these movies and they just wanted to add more emotional depth to the alfred is dying storyline by bringing in a family member i did never like that and she's from the uk and she has no accent with no accent. No. And then I think the thing well, about uh, it. Sure. Well, she's sure concluded. So. <laughs> she's the computer whiz too. And yeah. that leads to a, a scene I specifically hate is when she's trying to get on the computer and she's like trying to figure out what the password is and it's just peg. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's and they dumbest. set that up before where, the, like, where she doesn't know. She's confused why uh, the picture was signed Peg, but she's like, oh, this is like Aunt Margaret or something. But she's like, why is it Peg? And he's like, Alfred's like, well, Peg is short for Margaret. Like, it, how does he know that? Like, I that makes no sense. That's for the five-year-olds in the audience when this was released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one thing I will say, though, is that whole setup leads to another of my favorite lines, which I know in our Discord kind of comes up a lot, but... Suit me up, Uncle Alfred. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I think I used that in the store yesterday. I was trying on new shirts, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. That's my big, uh, my one regret with the backup movie getting canned is that we never got some type of call back to that line. Right. And then it sucks. We'll never see the, it'll never see the light of day. And I'll never get to see how Brendan Fraser would have been as Firefly like that more than any, like Keaton being back super thrilled about that. But Brendan Fraser's Firefly, I want to see what that looks like. Yeah. We'll never know. Only in our dreams. Yeah. Maybe some brave soul has it on their computer and they're just waiting for the right time to upload it to the internet. Yeah. (laughs) So something I was thinking about, with this movie and comparing it to Batman Forever, which I know we're not, we shouldn't do, we should look at it at their own merits. But Batman Forever, you know, because of the studio coming in there and meddling and trying to take some of the seriousness out of that film, I think it feels a little inconsistent. And I would argue that Batman and Robin is more tonally consistent of a movie than Batman Forever. Do you agree or disagree? Why or why not? I, I actually do. It was like kind of a, a great point by you because like the tone is definitely they're not I can't I don't I haven't really watched like the trailers in a while, so I don't know if they were trying to pass it off as like, oh, this is like this is Batman, this is like this is dark man, this is kind of this was started in eighty nine. The whole movie right from the jump is goofy right from the beginning with the suit up scene. And, you know, uh, chicks through the car and this is why Superman works for alone. They and right till the very, very end where it looks like we need a bigger cave, like those whole like it's nonstop, like little goofy one liners, goofiness the whole time. 
So I I agree with you that it is that is way more consistent than forever. Although I like the in forever, I like how I think it's a pretty good balance of like the goofiness and the you know the seriousness. But I for sure agree with you that um, Batman and Robin is more, more consistent in tone. Yeah, it's just something weird I noticed in watching the two. And I think that's why I actually kind of like Batman and Robin more than forever, if I had to rank them. Oh. But we can always get to that later. One other thing I wanted to point out that I forgot to mention when we were talking about the cameos, Dr. Jason Woodrow, who comic yeah. fans will know, he is the Floronic Man, big time. He's an enemy of Poison Ivy, especially actually right now in the current Poison Ivy run, they're bringing it back, but also Big Bad of Swamp Thing. But more importantly, the actor that plays him is John Glover, who, if people with a discerning ear will notice, is the same voice behind the animated series Riddler. So, same guy. Thought that was kind of fun. And um, Lex Luthor's dad in Smallville. True, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Yeah. So he's a he's a DC regular. I think too. I heard this on um, Kevin Smith when uh, Kevin Smith's podcast when it used to be only about Batman, the Fat Man on Batman. But I think the kid, one of the kids in the bike race, he's in the Dark Knight as the guy who's next to Gordon in the armored truck, where he's like, "Is that a bazooka?" Like when he was a kid, he's like. He's like the little kid, like rooting for a spike or whatever in like the motorcycle race. I'm pretty sure that's true. Huh. I was to look that so up. That's, that's pretty kind of a funny. Like, yeah, yeah. like he's the worst Batman movie and like the best Batman movie. He's in, he's in both. I'll have to check that out and look that up. Yeah. Because now I'm very curious. I'm pretty sure. I wanted to touch on architecture for a moment because. Well, plenty of it, and plenty yeah. of it in this movie. especially in these, you could drive on it for Christ's sake. <laughs> especially in these four films, yeah. you know, the Gotham Gotham City is arguably dramatic and pronounced. You know, interpretations are all over the place. You have like the Anton first, you know, designs of '89. Even Returns has a very different, more ter- Tim Burton esque look, and then Forever has its own thing, and then this. Do you like the cityscape here? And, you know, how would you compare it to other Gotham skylines? Do you like it better? Do you like it less? I guess when you compare um, the Schumacher movies to the Bird movies, like the Bird movies kind of seem smaller, almost. Like it doesn't seem that Gotham is as big of a city. But in the Schumacher ones, like you can really tell, like they're these buildings are huge. And, and like we see Batman, like, like the opening scene in Forever, when he comes down, he swings down uh, to talk to Commissioner Gordon, Chase Meridian, and then obviously Batman and Robin, like we were talking about, it, like the, I mean, they're driving on these statues and things like that. But it does seem that this the city is bigger in the Schumacher movies, but in the Burr movies, it's more kind of it's more grounded, and I don't want to say it's more of a character, it's just kind of like because you can tell where, like, oh yeah, I mean, in '89 they go by the monarch theater like a bunch of times and what a very slow car chase in uh in 89 with the with the batmobile and joker's gang and stuff but yeah i guess i don't know how i compare it to it's more it's more of like those first four movies that's more of like a unique design than we get with the nolan and like in reese films if that makes sense 
Yeah, and I think so. And I think your your comment about it feeling bigger definitely is true. I feel like every time they're outside in any of the Schumacher films, like you're getting these massive cityscapes that seem improbable yeah. to imagine. Even the bike chase you're talking about with Julio, like seems kind of like weird to have that much freeway mm-hmm. just kind of not Cut really off. connecting to much, just kind of out in its own thing. And then of course, yeah, when they're driving over those statues and stuff, those statues take up a lot of space in the city. Yeah. How does like traffic work on the ground level? You know, it feels like a lot yeah. to drive around just so that some guy can hold up an observatory, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think I like it more. I, well, I like that it's a character, but I feel like the statues might be a little too much. Feels like they're yeah. really leaning into the whole like Greek Roman thing, you know, just, For sure. just with the, <clears throat> massive statues of people and that kind of feeds into the centurion look which is something we've talked about in a past episode where it came out that the bat nipples were inspired by the centurion armor and that's why they have that on there and it's supposed to be part of the aesthetic so i'm assuming the statues are in the same vein but it definitely is its own own groove i kind of put it in the middle there i guess if i'm ranking skylines because i like it when Gotham City has a character, so I don't like it when it just looks like any city USA. Yeah. But I still think I like the Burton ones better. And then the Reeves one reminds me of like Dark City or something, where it's just this like impossible noirish hellscape where everything just feels like there's layers and layers and layers above that we don't really see. Like, sure, we see the skyline a few times, but like feels like most of the movie takes place beneath. Um, like elevated train platforms and stuff. So. Yeah, I would say Reeves maybe. Now we'll go into another thing here, but I don't mind it. But Reeves, like I remember that opening scene where like it shows like that Times Square, that Gotham's Times Square. It seems like he kind of really wanted to focus more, put a unique spin on Gotham more than like Nolan did. Almost like no disrespect to Nolan, like he just kind of used Chicago, like basically, yeah. right? Like, he didn't kind of add any unique flair, Gotham flair to it. But I feel like Reeves kind of added a little flair to to his Gotham compared to Nolan. Yeah. No, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like Nolan is just kind of, it's any city thing. And really, you know, like some people like that and they like that grounded approach. And that's totally cool. For me, it's not, it's probably my least favorite part of those movies. I mean, I love those movies, but... You know, probably the thing I focus on least just because not big into it kind of reminds me of like the Adam West show where like as a kid, I didn't mind. But like as an adult, it's like this is clearly California. (laughs) 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 We know what's going on here. But yeah, yeah, either way, it's definitely uh, artistic and takes its liberties. I'm trying to see what Reeves does uh, in part two now that like hit that it's going to be like a Gotham being rebuilt. So I wonder how he's going to, if he's going to show more of Gotham or show how it's being rebuilt and things like that. Parthenons and statues of people everywhere. Let's do it. <laughs> so speaking of liberties though, let's talk about characterizations. Are there any liberties or characterizations this movie takes that you think would influence or benefit the comics? Like, is there anything you wish they would 
actually carry over to the comics. I know for Batman Forever, Dr. Chase Meridian eventually found her way into the pages of Detective Comics within the last couple of years. But anything like that, or no, you could totally say that's terrible. None of this movie should filter over. Yikes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I don't want, like, the only big liberty they took was the Batgirl, uh, Barbara Wilson, I think she is in the movie. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't want that in the comics. And I like Bane as being a, a bustlehead and cerebral. I don't know. I don't. Could you? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. I might say no. <laughs> totally fair. I don't even have any. I don't think no. I had anything for that. I was no. okay with leaving it as it was, but I figured I would ask. So, obviously, this movie was the fourth and final one in its series, but before it was released, they actually already had a fifth movie in development. And a lot of people probably already know that. You know, and due to the poor response, you know, in June of 97, the fifth movie, which was, you know, apparently titled Batman Unchained, was shelved. You know, and I think we've touched on this in past episodes. So I'm just going to be very brief about it, but it would have featured Scarecrow and Harley Quinn. And Harley Quinn would be Joker's daughter and not a girlfriend character. And a fear toxin sequence would be a vehicle for the studio to sort of celebrate the franchise and do a victory lap with the return of classic Batman film villains. So think like Riddler, Two-Face from Forever. You know, they wanted to have Nicholson back as the Joker for a very brief cameo, just kind of a fun way to celebrate the whole history of this franchise from 89 onward. Didn't happen, but we're getting um, some of that carried over into the Batman 89 Echoes miniseries, which is a follow-up from the super successful Batman 89 miniseries last year. So not all is lost, but, and this is something actually we talked, we touched upon a little bit in the beginning of the episode, but by this film being canceled, do you feel the franchise's future benefited? Oh yeah. hundred, hundred percent. It has to be right. It's like the only, but I guess has to be the only right answer. I mean, without it, if that doesn't get, Say that fifth made that fifth movie gets made, like, do they just keep kind of pumping out these kind of these movies where it's all turns into the Bond franchise almost, where it's every few years there'll be a different Batman and, and they could say they're connected and they're not connected or things like that. But without that being canceled, like we never get the the Dark Knight trilogy and all the things we get from that. It's kind of like how like what was that last uh, Pierce Brosnan uh, Bond movie? Die Another Day. Die Another Day. It was kind of like, like Die Another Day was like the Batman and Robin for the Batman. Like, without that, you don't get the Daniel Craig movies. And without Batman and Robin, you don't get uh, the Christian movies. True. And, you know, something that it dawns on me, I didn't think about it when I wrote the question, but it dawns on me now as we're discussing it, if it was successful, that means the studio would learn the lesson that people want more of this, whatever, you know, yeah. consider Batman and Robin. But how would they morph Scarecrow to fit that? Would it just be like that neon black light street gang thing? Or just, <laughs> like, is that what the nightmare sequence would be? It would just look like those that gang that's in Forever and Batman and Robin that just, 
you know, love to just sit around and like paint their face and their suits and put black lights everywhere? Or like, you know, how would Scarecrow hit in like this super goofy over the top world? Or was Schumacher thinking, you know what, I really want to get out of this really goofy tone and like go back to something a little more serious? Yeah, he he did always say that. He did like I remember saying like he wanted to adapt to your one or things like that and really go back into the the darkness of it, which I mean, uh, maybe he's kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty. They're saying like he's just kind of saying that to appease everybody and kind of throw the studio under the bus. But yeah, I wonder. It would have been like like you said, bring up the neon, like you know how like the Barbie movie, like like the world almost kind of ran out of the color of pink. Like I think we would have been out of neon. Yeah, if they were if they were pumping if they were pumping that thing out. I mean, I do believe him when he said that stuff, just because. You know, Jill Schumacher also did Falling Down, which for people who are listening to this and haven't watched that great film, you should go check it out. And totally, totally way different than um, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. If you watch it, not knowing what those Batman films are, you'd be like, this guy's making a Batman film. That sounds awesome. And then totally not what you would expect based on Falling Down. Yeah, I guess we kind of almost like for his like his his like uh credit his credit to like be a uh do a dark batman movie like those scenes in batman forever where you know uh bruce is looking into the bat like the giant bats coming at him like i could definitely see him like really doing a very good like psychological thriller batman movie yeah if only maybe someday we'll get the schumacher cut yeah so obviously the legacy is what it is many people consider it the worst bat film Many cast and crew have apologized for its existence, including George Clooney, who also appeared in the post credit scene of The Flash, where he was confronted at the very end by the titular character of The Flash with, you're not Batman, you know, which is obviously kind of a fun dig at that. Um, one thing I will say, we mentioned earlier that this movie was made to be more Toyotic. According to the studio, it's a made-up word. It just means they want to be able to sell a lot of toys and stuff off of it. And from what I could find, I did do a little digging. Looks like there's between 70 and 80 toys for this, including action figures, play sets, and vehicles. If you watch the film, especially near the end, there are a lot of vehicles that popped up just to like show kids the toys that are available on the shelves because they serve no purpose. Robin's riding around in a little... like fan propelled vehicle sliding around on the ice doesn't really do anything don't know where that was in the Batcave, but there it is bj did you have any of these batman or robin figures i had that toy I had that, I had that i had that vehicle so I, <laughs> speaking of i remember it it had a big what threw me off as a toy is that the robin logo was red on it but like everything else was like in the ice themed version yeah, I had a ton of toys uh, from this. I had, I distinctly remember a Batgirl, and it always threw me off that the toy had the cowl, but she wore the cowl for like two seconds uh, in the movie, and she ripped that thing off uh, as quick as possible. I had a Robin that was all silver, but he had the red bird, the red logo on his chest. I had Mr. Freeze. Yeah, I had I had a ton of toys from this. You yeah, know, my brother and I, we had a few of them. Um, some of the vehicles that giant ice 
bat boat plane hybrid thing that Batman drives around at the end. We had that. And then uh, we had like two different Mr. Freezes and it looked like there were three or four, all different designs. They looked very different from each other. And then one with goggles, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. And neither one looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> that being said, uh, the McFarlane company has released a new wave of Batman and Robin figures. I have them all. They are very movie accurate. Uh, when they announced it, I got very excited and I had to have them. And I will say very high quality because McFarlane can be kind of hit or miss these days. And there are bat nipples on the suit. So another win there. That's how you know they really took it serious. <laughs> if anyone is interested, I would highly recommend those. And they even come with little uh, ice chunk pieces that you can put on Robin. So you can have oh. him frozen, just like in the movie. Oh, the bird. Is that what he says? <laughs> I can't remember now, even though I watched it twice. I don't know. It's oh, like... the bird of, uh, after me. <laughs> you got 11 minutes to decide. <laughs> so we're at the final question. This is actually a longer episode. BJ, do you think this is the worst Batman movie of all time? Why or why not? Yeah, it's as much as like I lean more positively toward and look at it uh, with some fondness. I, it's got to be the worst Batman movie. Li- are we talking live action? Yeah, we can can find. I feel like yeah, we opened it to animated. I feel like there's a lot of stinkers in the animated yeah. realm that went far. Because I would, if it's animated, I put Batman Ninja in there. But but live action, I would have to say, yeah, it's got to be right. Like as much as I like it, as much as like. I can look at it and not, not like get angry. Let's it's got to be when you compare it to all the other movies. You know, if I'm playing nice and not making any wonky rules, I will add a new rule. Team movies don't count, so I will take Justice League off of the board. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will just have to say that Depends on the day. Some days I actually might like this better than Batman Forever, and there might be the odd day where I go, nah, Batman Forever is better than Batman and Robin. I feel like it consistently battles for the bottom spot. I don't want to lock it firmly in the last spot for forever because I there's a lot of charm and joy to be had in this movie. And that being said, just because it's ranked lowest doesn't mean it's not worth your time. You're in really need of uh, uh, something that boosts your mood and 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 is the equivalent of like a dazzling you know uh, fever dream of nonsense like it's your jam get you out of a bad monday for sure i see that if you think that ice and plants can coexist in the in the world well i mean poison ivy especially bread plants that could survive on the ice yeah it's like her whole jam. She just wanted to. She didn't want to save all plants, just that one. Yeah. Well, that's our episode. I mentioned earlier BJ's TBU five things article on this movie, which will be uh, posted below. You can visit us at thebatmanuniverse.net for comic reviews, movie news, and more. You don't want to chat with us? Hop on our Discord, or you can write to us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net, and we'll respond to your comments on the air. You could totally tell us we're wrong about Batman and Robin. Either way, whether in support of this film or that we were way too nice and probably should have scorched it. But I feel like if it's this film's had enough of that, so 
We'll see what you come up with. If you like these episodes, please subscribe, rate, and share. For BJ and myself, thanks for listening.